Blog Talk Radio. Ladies, let's talk with Coach Gina, a weekly radio show for the working woman. We cover topics such as family, life skills, wellness, and business. You can catch us every Wednesday live from 8 o'clock to 8.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. At any time, click on the archives to listen to a previous episode. We are glad you have joined us. Take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy. Here's your host, Coach Gina Brown. Our guest today is none other than entrepreneur, author, writer, Dr. Niamma Williams. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Coach Gina. Thank you so much. I am honored to be here. Oh, we are going to have a good time. I'm so excited to uh, have this conversation with you and get the listeners to learn about what you write about and your passions. And um, it's definitely some golden nuggets. So uh, you listening audience, whether you're listening live or uh, to one of our past episodes, make sure you have a pen and paper or something you can record because this is going to definitely bless you. It's going to be a great treat. So today, um, Dr. Williams, uh, I believe Dr. Nee, right, is is her nickname, everyone knows her as Dr. Nee, his business is Blowing Up Barriers Enterprises. And today we're talking rising like a phoenix. And there's so much to be said about that. Women in business and entrepreneurs, there's so much going on in our lives. And we have, each of us has a journey and a story to tell. And uh, Dr. Nee, tell, tell the listening audience what kind of started your journey in uh, writing. You know, I initially wanted to start writing, well, first of all, my first poem I wrote in fifth grade. So I've been writing for a long period of time. And my connection with books started very early because I was the youngest of three. And my I still remember my stepfather read the newspaper cover to cover every morning. And my mother was always reading something. Um, and she often said that we picked up the reading habit from them because we saw them doing it. And so we automatically wanted to do it. And I was read to by everyone as a child. And they thought I had memorized uh, the books that they were reading to me, but they I had just been read to so often that I could turn to the page and recite the words. So my connection uh-huh. with books started very early. Um, I mean, I was doing that at three or four, um, I've been told. And in fifth grade, I wrote this poem, and my mother kept it in one of the uh, family picture albums for years, um, where my fifth grade teacher had written good at the top uh, of the uh, of the page and read when you know teachers used to correct and read. 
Right? <laughs> exactly. You know? They'll circle, circle the, the, the letter or the words and exclamation exactly. marks. <laughs> <laughs> that red ink, right? Now they, they tell them, no, don't do the red ink. It affects their, it affects their uh, uh, self-esteem. So now they tend not to use red as much. But um, that was when my, my connection with books started. And when I got, when I finished my undergraduate degree at Occidental College, and I started working at uh, the University of California, Irvine, I realized that I wanted to write work that my aunt, who was a day worker, could read and could learn from and could uplift her. I took very seriously um, the black arts movement uh, dictate that we write work as black authors that helped our people face Mr. Charlie. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that now everybody has a Mr. Charlie, not just black folk, okay? Right. And so I wanted to write work that would help people survive, that would uplift them. Um, because I'm a survivor of trauma, um, child abuse, homelessness, um, a very difficult doctoral program. Um, I mean, I never had so many hospital admissions until I started that doctoral program. Wow. And so, yeah, it was really, really um, difficult, um, especially emotionally. It was very difficult. But um, I wanted to write work that would, first of all, let people know they were not alone, because often mm-hmm. survivors of trauma think they're the only ones or think they're you know, terminally unique. So I wanted to let people know they were not alone. I wanted to let them learn from my mistakes, um, to read what I had been through and, and see how not to do what I did. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be um, understandable by the masses. Um, that's why one of the things I incorporate in all of my books, whether it's poetry or memoir, um, even in my dissertation, I will make references to, as T.S. Eliot would say, both high and low culture. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. might need a passage in the journey that refers to Nikki Giovanni, Star Trek, and the TV show Brimstone all in one fell swoop. Uh, right? <laughs> exactly. And the reason I do that is because I do very much believe what T.S. Eliot said, is that you have to incorporate um, the culture, high and low culture, into your work so that um, there's, a, there's a sense of cultural history in your work so that it will stand the test of time and so that you will interest those who might not know who Nikki Giovanni is or who might not know what Star Trek is. Okay, mm-hmm. and so I tie them together and bridge okay. the gap that maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I want those who may not know, you know, T. S. Eliot, to say, "Well, at least I know Star Trek, so I know something." Let me go look up this T. S. Eliot person. Okay, <laughs> so I wanted people to not feel alone. I wanted them to understand they're not crazy to feel the way they do, because oftentimes survivors of trauma feel that, you know, their beliefs or their, their feelings about things are odd or strange or are different or wrong, and I wanted them to know, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're normal for you. you know? mm-hmm. So I had I had a lot of agendas. <laughs> it was yeah. cathartic for me to do a lot of the writing that I did. Um, one of the ways that I deal with trauma and deal with life challenges is to write about them. Mm. Um, it helps me see it from a different perspective. 
Um, it helps me work through it, uh, and it helps me not feel alone with what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's great because yeah, you're, I had all you're those agendas. <laughs> it's inner it's interwoven into your own healing and also helping others. And exactly. so it's interconnected. And so as you move forward and continue your writing, you're also continuing to help yourself through, through, through. And then the mm-hmm. others who are feeling, oh, my gosh, I'm the only one. And you're saying, no, you're not. And it's no, normal. And this is how you deal with it. Exactly. Exactly. Right on target. <laughs> Get your gold star for the day. oh my gosh but it's so important it's important that uh you take the time to write and because the message is um waiting someone's waiting for your message right and they're depending on a solution they're looking for help and when we don't uh move through that we're not we're not we're sometimes hindering someone's, you know, answers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in your writing and in your, uh, what we just talked about, have you got any feedback from anyone saying, oh, my God, thank you so much? Or tell us a little about, a bit about how the outcome happens once you're done writing. You know, it's really interesting. I had a a best friend, and she uh, read the journey, and she said, you know, she said, I was approaching 40, and I was really feeling um, several ways about it. She said, and I read your book, and all of a sudden, I didn't care what people thought of me anymore. She said, it was no longer about how I looked or how people perceived me. I realized that I was who I was, and I was okay with who I was. And she said she developed the efforts <laughs> after she read my book, that it just didn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. I had a friend in, made a new friend, actually, in Australia who read awesome. my book. And, yes, and she, she uh, taught for many years and uh, is retired now. And she just loved the journey. But it's a difficult book. You know, it's a difficult book. I mean, I really talk about trauma um, from the beginning. And um, I went into my LinkedIn groups and my Facebook groups, and I asked people to read the book and give me their feedback. And several people have said it's it's a tough read, but um, it's very... um, People do not encounter that book and not have feelings about it. Mm. Do not read that book and not have feelings about it. Um, it's my favorite baby because it's my first. Um, and yeah, understood. You know, it's my it's my yes. favorite because it's my first, and it is the one that started the writing journey. Um, because as a doctoral student, when I finished my Ph.D. program, I looked around my apartment and I had all these pieces of manuscripts. And I said, you know, I'm going to put these together, you know. And um, I started assembling manuscripts in May when I finished my my program. And then by about October, November, I had nine different books. Wow. You know. So if you have those pieces of manuscripts lying around your apartment, assemble them. 
um, I went to Lulu.com because I got tired of waiting for publishers. <laughs> yes. One, one company kept my manuscript for a year to the day. And really? Said, yeah. And then said, oh, do you have a novel? Because we don't do collections of short stories. Another uh, press lost my manuscript for two years because I'd entered a competition. And they said, oh, well, do you want to enter this year's competition? I'm like, after you lost my manuscript for two years. You're like, no, thank you, but thank you for your input. (laughs) You know, so I I went with Lulu.com because that was the best uh, self-publishing platform at the time. Um, And I'm I'm really still figuring out the marketing piece. I'm really still figuring out the marketing piece. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I connect with the right target market, and I have several. So um, Mm -hmm. I'm still in some extent, in some in some ways, looking for my right target market um, so that I can approach them. And that's one of the reasons that I've started copy editing, so that I can begin to do Facebook ads and Twitter ads and that kind of thing to really get the word out there. Yes, that's important. The um, and Writing and uh, marketing, all of that is really, really important. But that's not all that you do, Right. Do you also have workshops that you facilitate? Yes. Tell us about that. I have workshops. I started, um, and I started at the long end of the workshop design, uh, uh, what do I want to call it, activity. Um, I started with a 27-week workshop called Attaining the Fully Imagined Life, and I based that one on drawing. And it's it's in three parts. There's killing the muckraker, there's soul work, and then there's grunt work. Mm. And killing the muckraker is eight weeks, soul work is eight weeks, and then grunt work is 13 weeks. And the mm. whole purpose of that workshop series is to help you redesign your life, to help you take out of your life what you don't want in there, and to help you build the life that you really, really want. And I I based it on drawing because I figured drawing was a great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone can draw and draw well, so it would automatically bond um, the people in my workshops. And mm-hmm. so I I designed that one first, and then I have several um, standalone workshops, uh, the inner self, the outer self, uh, Uplift with Literature, um, and that one I really am looking forward to giving because that one takes the work of John Edgar Wideman, who is a whose short stories are absolutely amazing. Um, he was writing in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, uh, a contemporary of Hemingway, and that takes his work, Hemingway's work, um, uh, what's her name, Tony K. Bambara's work, and um, really shows people how characters face life challenges and then asks them how they would face these life challenges. Because if you can imagine yourself in a scenario and overcoming it, then you can do that in your own life. Right, right. I have my my workshop series and then I have my standalone workshops. And Uh uh, I really enjoy workshop design. I have another one um, that's based on uh, the relationship between meditation, uh, regular spiritual practice, 
and the development of spiritual grit such that you alleviate stress-induced illness. Um, and so that one is all about mindfulness and meditation. Alleviate, alleviate uh, what was it? Stress-induced illness. Stress-induced illness. Tell me about that. You know, one of the things that has, talk about a phoenix rising from the ashes, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that has stood me through the test of time is meditation and regular spiritual practice. I meditate twice a day when I wake up in the morning and before I go to bed at night. And I've recently been called to Catholicism, so I try to go to Mass every Sunday. And um, I've also joined the small church communities uh, community at my church so that uh, during Advent and during Lent we meet once a week for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And those practices all combined build a spiritual grit, I like to call it, that enables you to face life challenges. Um, and just just most recently, um, I took on this first copy editing client, and he gave me a major project. And I, it was not going well. <laughs> okay, he wanted me to summarize something for him, and um, it was about thirty pages. And I cut it down to five pages. And he said, "Oh, that's too short. You've got to expand it. It's got to be ten to fifteen pages." And I was freaking out because I was like, "I don't know how he wants this done. You know, am I doing the right thing?" And mm-hmm. You know, just got really, really depressed. I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, this is not going to go well. This is going to drag on forever. I'm not going to get this done right. You know, he's not going to like anything I'm doing. You know, all the stuff that the devil tells you, (laughs) you know. (laughs) But I never let go of my meditation, and I never let go of talking to God, asking God, listening to God. And one of the things God kept telling me was stick close to this person, he only means well for you. Do not let go of this project. And I said, okay, God. And I, you know, did a major revision, added a whole bunch of stuff, um, you know, added some stories basically uh, to explain each point that was made in uh, the training. And I just got an email last night that he loved the work that I did. Oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. Yes. Oh my God! You persevered through it. Oh, and that can be so uh, tense and stressful sometimes when you're just really having that client. Mhm. And you really want to please them and do good work, and of course get your referrals. And um, it all matters. It all matters. The um. Yes. You know, being in business and having clients and working on tasks and everything. Uh, I believe uh, through uh, the meditation that you mentioned is one uh, key element that more and more awareness is uh, being discussed in uh, recent years of how to uh, deal with and uh, maintain, manage life's challenges that come to us. We can't eliminate those challenges. They're always going to be there, but how you deal with them matters. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the things I like to tell people is meditation is actually very simple. It is not a complicated process. And you don't have to worry initially about doing it right. What matters is that you do it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people that you don't have to have music, you don't have to have um, uh, guided meditation. You know, it really is a very simple process. It's all about sitting in the stillness. I tell people what I used to tell my students when I taught at the college level because I taught literature and composition for 17 years. That's why I'm now working as an editor. Oh. Um, exactly. I love teaching. But um, one of the things that I I used to tell my students, um, the question I would always ask them when we were talking about, when we were beginning the conversation about how to write essays, I would say to them, what is the first thing you do when you decide that you're going to go to college? And I'd get a variety of answers. And I would tell them, you stake out your study territory in your house or apartment. I said, you designate a space that is only for studying, you don't talk to your friends there, you don't play with the cat there, you don't let anybody else use that space. It is specifically and only for studying. Mm. I said, because what will happen over time is that your body will know, okay, this is the place where my mind takes precedence. This is the place where I focus and I study and your body will acclimate to that and it will function better once it's in that space, because it knows that space is for a specific activity. Well, it's the same thing with meditation. You don't have to have a fancy altar, but you have to have a chair or a cushion or a space in your home that is specifically for meditation. Mm-hmm. And you don't let anybody else use it, and you you don't um, do any other activity in that particular spot. And your body will acclimate. Your mind will know, okay, when I'm in this spot, I I still myself. Mm-hmm. And it's all about listening because what and one of the reasons I do a workshop on alleviating stress induced illness is because many times stress induced illness is about your inner wisdom trying to tell you something and you're mm-hmm. blocking it. You're not listening. You don't want to hear it. Oh. Because we all know when people talk when people say, Oh, I don't know what my life purpose is, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next, um, I don't know what I really want. They do. Your inner wisdom knows everything. Your mm-hmm. inner wisdom has all of the answers. The question is, do you want to hear them and do you want to do what they require? <laughs> ding ding ding. Mm-hmm. That's part exactly. two. <laughs> exactly. It's there, but do you want to he- really hear it so uh, and take those steps it requires? Exactly. I like exactly. that you use that word, requires. Some people mm-hmm. don't want to re- do that, require. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. shows up in avoidance, right? Yes. And that's where the pain and the suffering, because your inner wisdom will want to speak, and it has no problem poking the brain to cause problems or poking poking the body to cause problems because you're not listening. And oftentimes that's where the stress comes from. Your inner wisdom is trying to communicate. And, you know, I, I often say to people that the reason often that we need therapy is not because we don't know the answers, but because we don't want to do what's required or what our what our inner wisdom is asking of us. You know, one of the things Christians often say is God doesn't necessarily ask the easy stuff. You know, 
but it's always the way to reward. It's always the way to reward. Yes, indeed. Okay, Dr. Nee, um, our time is kind of getting towards the end, and I have so many questions to ask you. So before we totally run out of time, I'm going to go ahead and ask you, uh, the listeners who are like, well, where can we get your books, and how do we get in your workshops, and how do we get in touch with you? Share with us um, your contact information. Oh, that's very easy. Um, my website is very simple. It's long, but it's very simple. It's www.drniamawilliams.com, and the doctor is D-R, and it's all run together, all lowercase, and Niyama is spelled N like Nancy, I-A-M like Mary A. And the reason I'm Dr. Nee is because so many people have a hard time with Niyama because they look at it and they don't know how to pronounce it or they can't remember it. It's sort of an odd name. So a friend of mine in graduate school said, we're going to call you Dr. Nee. So I liked that. So I, I like it too. It's catchy. Yeah. It's, it is. It is. And it's easy to remember. You know, it's easy to remember. So you can always find me at my website, www.drniamawilliams.com. Um, there's also a widget on my website uh, that's uh, called Visita, and you can always uh, set up a phone appointment with me there or set up an office appointment um, by clicking on that widget. It lets you schedule right away, and it always lets you know um, when I'm busy or when I'm available so you can pick a time that works for you. And those Fantastic. My email is niyama at drniamawilliams.com. You can always email me. I'm forever checking email on my phone. <laughs> but That's I don't have cute. an addiction, right? I don't have an addiction, but I'm always checking uh-huh. email on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to make sure you're uh, communicating and you're engaged in, you know, conversations. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So two questions before we go. Dr. Mee, thank you so much for having, uh, taking the time out to be with us on the show today, and you're fantastic. Before we go, though, I'd like to make sure I share with our sponsors for our episode today, which is Tasha Viamar. She has a wonderful business that ladies will make you feel beautiful, look beautiful from the inside out. Go to her website, simplyseductivelashes.com, and she will make you look glamorous for any occasion, whether it's business or the evening and uh, out on the town, etc. Tasha Viamar, go to her website, simplyseductivelashes.com. And our other sponsor, idreamnow.org, with Winona Valentine, founder she has a nonprofit for I Dream for Racial Health Equity, a project of community partners for health and wellness for those underserved or overlooked, not taken into consideration in research, etc. I Dream now.org with Winona Valentine. Thank you, ladies, for your support and your sponsorship. You are always, always an asset. And one more, awakenthegreatness.org with Layla Sewell, nonprofit for black families and uh, wellness and health as well. Awakenthegreatness.org. 
We'll see you next week, everyone. You've been fantastic. Remember to smile. Always, always remember to smile and give a little something back to someone less fortunate because it is good for the soul. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.